Welcome to the LaGrave CRC Podcast. Today we begin our new sermon series, The Canons of Dort. We will kick off this series with a sermon by Rev. Peter Yonker entitled, Unconditional Election. Our Bible reading this morning is from the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14. So eventually I'll get to that, and you should open your Bibles to that passage. But before you do that, and before you read that, I want you to do something a little unusual. This book, Our Faith, should be somewhere within reach of you in the pew. Let's take that out, and I would like you to turn to page 120, where we will be reading part of the Canons of Dort. For the next five weeks, so that's right up to Advent, we will do a sermon series on the five heads of doctrine, the five parts of the Canons of Dort. What is the canons? What are the canons of Dort? The canons of Dort um, is, a, is a doctrinal statement written in the 1600s, so the early 17th century, about 100 years after the beginning of the Reformation. It was written at a synod held in the Netherlands, a synod of Dordrecht. And at that synod, uh, they were responding to five uh, articles written by someone Uh, named Jacob Arminius and his followers about how they thought the Bible taught about salvation. And the Canons of Dort were written in response to that, and they have five responses to those five articles, and in every single case, they say that Arminius and his followers are wrong. So probably most of you, if you're honest, you know the Canons of Dort are there. You probably never read it. If you read through it, you'll know that it has a positive side, this is what we believe, and then it has a rejection of errors. We don't believe what those Arminians say. That's because it is this direct response. So each of the doctrines in the Canons of Dort that we'll be focusing on over the next five weeks are things that have deeply shaped the church. We've lived with this document for 400 years, and it's shaped how we interpret scripture. That's what confessions are. They are interpretations of scripture that we covenant together to believe and to hold. And we've held these for 400 years. So the first of the four, the five heads is the doctrine of election. So we're going to read just a little bit of Article 7. If you see there, that first line in the paragraph after it, I'm going to read that for you. And please follow along. Election is God's unchangeable purpose by which he did the following. Before the foundation of the world, by sheer grace, according to the free good pleasure of his will, God chose in Christ to salvation a definite number of particular people out of the entire human race, which had fallen by its own fault from its original in innocence into sin and ruin. Those chosen were neither better nor more deserving than the others, but lay with them in common misery. God did this in Christ, whom he appointed from eternity to be the mediator, the head of all those chosen, and the foundation of their salvation. All right, that's the canons of Dort, and now let's hear one of the passages, I think the preeminent passage from which that doctrine was devised. Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to put into effect when the times had reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included with Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the doctrine of election. And uh, if you grew up in the Reformed tradition and in the Christian Reformed Church, me saying that probably has a whole lot of associations for you. Me saying we're going to talk about the doctrine of election today probably raises in your minds problems and questions surrounding that doctrine. If you're not someone who grew up in the Reformed tradition and don't really know much about the doctrine of election, what we just read from the Canons of Dort, that little bit, is a pretty good description of what the doctrine teaches. I'll just read part of it again. Election is God's unchangeable purpose, by which he did the following. Before the foundation of the world, by sheer grace, according to the free good pleasure of his will, he chose in Christ to salvation a definite number of particular people out of the entire human race. In other words, before the creation of the world, before Adam and Eve, before any one human being came into existence, there was a great choosing of teams. There was, to use a sports metaphor, a great pre-creation draft in which some were selected for salvation. But this great pre-creation draft is not like the drafts that we know in the sports world when in the sports world people make draft picks, they look at their skills, right? They see how fast they can run, how high they can jump, whether they can play the game well, and they make their choice based on their skills. The canons of Dort is very explicit that this, this draft was not based on the skill of those drafted. God did not look forward from the beginning of time, forward into history, and look and say, oh, Mary Vandersma, 
oh, she's a solid human being, good church attendance, some solid committee work. She likes to bake casseroles for the sick. I like her. She's in. That's not how this went. Very explicitly, the canon says, that's not how this went. And we know they're explicit about that because that's specifically what the Arminians believed. That's what they taught. And that was the doctrine specifically that the, Calvin of, that the canons of Dort was responding to. No, election was not made by looking ahead and seeing how good you were. It was made by pure grace, according to his will, according to his sovereign purpose. If you were chosen, it doesn't mean you are any better than anyone else. Now that is a remarkable claim. And when you start thinking about it, as we have, as Christians, Reformed Christians, all sorts of problems and questions start coming up in your mind. Questions like, if God had already decided before the creation of the world whether or not I was saved, why do I even bother doing good works? Why should I work at being a good person? Why don't I just give in to my desires and do whatever I feel like from day to day? Because it's already been decided whether I'm in or not. Why good works? Or questions like, why do evangelism? My minister will occasionally tell me that I ought to go out and tell others about Jesus. In fact, I think he told me just last week that that was something really important. But why? If the teams have already been chosen, what's the point of, of trying to evangelize someone? And what about my own status? How do I know I'm one of the chosen? How do I know what side of the draft I'm on? I mean, I try to be a good person. I'm here every week. I, I, I try to do the right things, but if it isn't based on that, how do I know that God chose me? And maybe, most significant question of all, is this draft system even fair? How is it fair that there are people who from eternity essentially have no chance to believe? Who from eternity are consigned to eternity in hell? apart from anything they did. Apart from, they, they come into existence and they have, no, they have no chance of being saved. That's probably the hardest of all the questions that the Canons of Dort brings up. And in a spirit of avoidance, I will avoid that question today. <laughs> but I will not avoid it next week. Next week is limited atonement. I will not avoid it next week. So these are the problems and questions that many of you have heard, and if you haven't heard them, you've heard them now, that come up when we think about this doctrine, and they're significant. Rich Mao, in his little book, uh, Calvinism at the Las Vegas Airport, which is a nice little, uh, it's him reflecting on the canons of Dort. It's a nice little book. He tells a story where he gave a lecture about Old Testament law, and a whole bunch of people showed up, and afterwards a Jewish couple came up to him and said, Dr. Mao, that was a really good lecture. You said that you're a Calvinist. Aren't you Calvinists the people who believe that God chose from before the beginning of the world who was saved and who are not? That's a terrible doctrine. I, that's an awful doctrine. I can't imagine what kind of people believe that sort of thing. You seem like such a nice person. How could a nice person like you believe such a thing? That's the kind of reaction people have. And because it's the kind of reaction people have, we talk about election and, and we sometimes get sheepish or defensive. 
Now let's go to Ephesians 1. That's Paul talking about election. Paul is not sheepish or defensive about election. Paul thinks election is great. Paul is over the moon about election. Paul is definitely talking about election in this passage. I mean, that's a little bit of an anachronism. Paul, this is the passage upon which the doctrine of election is based, but you can see how the canons of Dort got election out of these words, right? God chose us in him before the creation of the world, verse 4. He predestined us for adoption to sonship, verse 5. And throughout the passage, he did this for the praise of his glory and according to his goodwill. It's all about grace. You can hear how the doctrine of election as we have in the canons came right out of this passage. And Paul is not the least bit apologetic about saying these things. He is excited. He cannot wait to tell the Ephesians about this wonderful plan God has from, for their life and how deeply he loves them. He cannot wait to tell them that they have eternal security anchored before the beginning of time. And the reason he can't wait to tell them is that security issue. Because the people to whom he was talking would not have felt like a secure church. The Ephesian church was brand new. And they were trying to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus. And they were trying to do this in this highly pressurized city that was full of temptations that could lead them away and full of opposition, people who wanted to squash them. And they were a church where people of different classes and different ethnicities were getting together and that just didn't happen in those days. Negotiating the differences between them was really, really hard and sometimes they felt like the differences would split them apart. That church would not have felt like a deeply secure institution. It would have felt like a small little shack, like a hut in a hurricane. Paul says, you may feel small and you may feel rickety, but do not be afraid because you have deep roots. You have roots that go back before the dawn of time, before creation even happened. God knew the name of every single one of you. You have a deep root that goes back before the beginning of things. You got a deep root that goes all the way forward into the new creation, to the end of history. You have the Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. When this world ends, when your life ends, you will be with Him. You got a root in the past, you got a root in the future, and right now, everything you do and everything you feel is right there before the face of your Father. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. Past, present, future. Your roots go all the way to the past, all the way to the present, and all the way into the presence of God. You have deep roots. Deep roots. I was reading about the Mackinac Bridge this week. The Mackinac Bridge, spanning the Straits of Mackinac between Lake Michigan and Lake Huron. There's some pretty heavy weather in there, right? Especially in the fall, the wind can blow pretty hard. Wasn't it back in the 80s? Didn't a, a Yugo get blown off the Mackinac Bridge? That's how windy it can get up there. And of course, when the wind is that high, it generates enormous waves which crash against that bridge with force. Worst of all, though, is the ice. In the spring, when the ice breaks up 
and it is blown, ice can create enormous forces, right? I mean, think about the Ice Age, which carved out the landscape and smashed boulders. The ice that comes through the Straits of Mackinac, I was reading, uh, can generate 21,000 pounds of pressure per square foot. So 10 tons of pressure per square foot, that ice pushes against the bridge. And yet the bridge stands, why? Because it has deep roots. When they built the bridge back in the 50s, they sank footings down, according to what I read this week, 200 feet, 200 feet below the surface. And they poured three quarters of a million tons of concrete down into the bottom. And so now, when the waves come and the wind blows and the ice smashes against the bridge, the bridge stands because it has deep roots. And Paul exclaims in Ephesians 1 about the doctrine of election, that we are eternally predestined in Christ. He's talking about deep roots that we have. And on the surface of things, when you live from day to day, it can feel like you're being buffeted and torn apart. And you wonder, how is this all going to finish up? But Paul says, don't be afraid, because there is no pressure in heaven on earth that can possibly smash you to pieces or take you out of my hands when you have such eternally deep roots. That's the main message here in Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1, Paul is not really doing the, exactly the same kind of theology in the same mode that the Canons of Dort is. He's not writing speculative theology. His concern in this passage is not who gets to go to heaven and who does not get to go to heaven. That's not what he's thinking about. What mode is Paul writing in here? When I read Ephesians 1, does that sound to you like a, a term paper or a philosophical discourse? Or does it sound more like someone who's gushing out a doxology, someone who's just super excited about the works of God? I think it's pretty clearly the latter. The tone that Paul is using in Ephesians 1 is like a wife calling her husband to tell her that the cancer is in remission and everything's going to be okay. The tone that Paul uses in Ephesians 1 it's like a daughter calling her mother saying, I got the scholarship, I got the scholarship, I can go to school. It's the tone of someone who knows a little church is in trouble and wants to tell them they have eternally deep roots. Of course, we are welcome to take this hymn, this doxology, and do speculative theology with it and try to figure out what it means for the mechanics of salvation. That's what we do, that's what the Canons of Dort does. But we should be careful when we do that. Because when we change from this hymn to this speculative theology, we're changing modes. We have to be careful not to go too far. Paul's words here, Paul's exclamation in Ephesians 1, almost certainly come out of his own experience. So for Paul, election is not a doctrine. For Paul, election is his story. It's his life, right? Paul wasn't a person who felt that he was someone who deserved to be saved. In fact, he says exactly the opposite. He says, I am the least of all sinners, as one abnormally born. 
Paul was working in the other direction of Jesus Christ until the Damascus Road when he was knocked down and turned around and changed. And Paul's experience of that is election. It's not about me and my plans. God took hold of me and did something and had a plan that was way bigger than me. Election isn't just a doctrine, it's Paul's story. Now, for me and for most of you, your story couldn't be more different than Paul's. Right? I know 90% of you, right? Raised in the church, baptized, been praying since you could remember, been trying to be a good person your whole life, looking to Jesus. But election is my story, and your story too, if that's your trajectory. During my ordinary days, I feel like my decisions matter so much that I'm the one at the till, and I'm the one with my hand on the wheel, and my little course corrections, if I don't get those just right, everything's going to fall to pieces. When I take a step back and look at the arc of my life, I realize that I am not the one steering this ship. You look back at your life and you think of all the random occurrences that brought you to the place where you are. When you think of the people God put in your life, that you didn't choose, they just came, and how they changed you. When you think of all the times you got this close to doing something really, really foolish and God pulled you back, you realize this is not your story. It's God's story. Election is your story too. Which brings me to my final point. Paul celebrates this eternal foundation, the fact that we have deep roots in Christ. Um, and that's wonderful. But we are not chosen by God so that we can enjoy our chosenness, all right? Election is not like Willy Wonka's golden ticket. You know, congratulations, you get into the candy store. No, like the Mackinac Bridge, those deep foundations, our election, are something that are meant to be built upon. We are elect to serve. We are chosen because God has given us a job on this earth, and our job is to witness his glory and his grace and his life-giving power. Rich Mao says in that sense, uh, being elect of God is not all that different than being elected to public office. Okay, suppose someone was running for the school board, wanted to serve on the local school board. He got elected. He would rightly have a, a, a party afterwards with all the people who helped him get him elected afterwards. Maybe they go over his place and they'd eat and they'd drink and they say, yay, I'm elect, woohoo. But it would be very strange if every week after that, say every Sunday morning, they got together and had another party where they said, yay, I'm elected, yay, I'm elected, yay, I'm elected. No. The proper thing to do is to receive that election and then go out and serve, work in the schools, to solve the problems, to make life better for the kids. We are elect to serve. And you see that trajectory of election moving towards service in the whole book of Ephesians. Paul lays the foundation, gives the good news of election in chapter 1. But in the rest of the book, especially towards the end, there's all kinds of places where we're called to serve. In chapter 2, he reminds us of a community where all the divisions that are divided, different ethnic groups are broken down and will become one in Christ. In chapter 4, keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In chapter 5, he calls us to be people of a certain kind of morality. 
right? Not self-indulgent, not focusing on ourselves, but giving out, fighting against anger, fighting against laziness, refusing to give in to sexual immorality, being people who live like light in this world. Chapter 5, he talks about in our domestic relationships, in our household relationships, in all our relationships, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Servant lives, where we get under each other and lift each other up. And in chapter 6, he talks about putting on the armor of God so we can resist the slings and arrows of the enemy. In all things, he calls us to be people of life, people of hope, people of love in a culture of cynicism and despair. Election is not meant to raise an army of problems. It's meant to raise an army of servants, and that's us. So praise be to a God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for this passage and for this ultimate ex expression of how deeply secure we are in you. Lord, you know that we don't feel secure every day. We get up and we are beset with worries. Thank you for this passage which reminds us that uh, our worries are not a reality. You are a reality and your roots are our reality. Lord, feed us with your grace this week so we can be people of life in your world. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave CRC's Sermon Podcast.